in every Tuesday to the Learning with Lowell podcast with me, your host, Lowell, to hear world-class scientists, startup founders, CEOs, and authors, people who you wouldn't normally hear about but are making huge waves all the same. You'll understand them and their work by hearing their passion, laughter, advice, and hearing them, the experts, break down what they're working on so that you can learn push the boundaries of your knowledge and understanding. Three quick ways to show your support and get unique, exclusive, and fun content is by checking out learningwithlowell.com website, our Patreon page. Even if it's just a buck, it keeps us advertisement free and subscribing. Today, we are joined with Tito out in the Bay Area. He has been lighting a fire with innovation for over a decade. Here are a few examples of his past experiences. Co-founder and board of directors for BioCurious, manager of partnerships and community at Runway Incubator, co-founder of Pearl Biotechnology. Now getting into what he's working on now, he's the co-founder and CEO of Impossible Labs, which is working as an innovation platform for entrepreneurs and Fortune 500 companies pursuing the world's food, water, and energy opportunities. It's a growing network of 226 post-hydrocarbon startups working with Impossible Labs because of our deep experience with corporate partnerships and development. As Tito would say, climate change is the biggest financial opportunity civilization has ever seen. And the first billionaire or trillionaire is going to be someone who solves these problems. For people who don't know you, what is what is something that would surprise them? Like, is there like a funny factoid that you, like I, one person I had on here, they survived a plane crash and not because the plane like was mal- malfunctioning, they forgot to fill up the gas tank. Wow. So it just... It was in India. It was that's, like, that's where I would imagine it being. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So any anything weird, anything uh, yeah, that would be, like surprise people. Well, something that surprises me is that I am from Hawaii. I grew up in Hawaii, and many people in my life just are like, "What? Like, no? Like, surely you're joking?" Um, but yeah, I, I grew up on the Big Island of Hawaii. My parents are both oil painters, artists. And that's, that surprises people. People walk up to me and, and ask the opposite. I got last week, somebody walked up and said, oh, are you from Germany? And I said, no. And I said, why? And they said, well, you look like you're from Germany. So that's my, that's the thing that surprises, surprises me and seems to surprise other people too. Mm-hmm. I would think by your name, you could be Polish. Jan yeah. Kowalski. That's like a Polish. Jankowski, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I'm not very good with uh, names, but I got Tito right. So I'm, I'm like 50%. I'm not at an A yet. But, uh, all right, so, I mean, that's pretty weird. Why wouldn't people think you're from Hawaii? Like, you could be anywhere. That's the cool thing about the modern world. We're global. Like, that climate change isn't entirely local. It sometimes is. But, yeah. I mean, is there, like, a number two thing? So, besides, like, not believing you're from Hawaii. There's something people find surprising. Um, Or that you've done that's weird. That you don't get to say often. Like high five Beyonce, I guess that would count. I don't know. Oh yeah. Uh, I switched off to Gmail like four years ago, so that was a big move. So like you don't use, you don't use Gmail? No, no, I'm on Fastmail. I was like, yeah, Gmail. Like it was funny trying to trying to like get off Gmail Um, because it turns out like, I mean, you can certainly get another email provider, but Gmail is so convenient and it's so easy, and you have all your Google Docs and all that sort of stuff. Um, But yeah, switching was. Switching is something I'm I'm proud of, uh, but doesn't come up much in in like normal conversation. Why would you, if it's really convenient and easy, why would you switch? Uh, there was the whole that was when the whole like Edward Snowden thing was happening, uh, and I was like, huh, like I'm sure all my emails are still like in the same system, but um, 
something something there was just like oh it seems like a something interesting to try like how hard is it to to leave that ecosystem um it turns out it's like it, it's okay um so i'm a happy fast mail user what would be another what's something like more fun um i How to like maybe like to help jog your memory? I'll tell you one about me instead of like yeah, referencing sure. other people because then it's like how how personal can I get with this? I once started a mob when I was very young. <laughs> I was at the at a fair and I got people very riled up and then I got them like like there's like maybe like ten to twenty of them and I got you know it was like a little mob but we didn't do anything bad but like I got them running and then we like turned a corner and I jumped behind a car and then because because the like moment, cartoons <laughs> yeah and. Uh, <laughs> Because of the momentum of like just everyone running, they just kept running around for a while. Wow. So like I just watched them run around in circles. That sounds just like Looney Tunes. That yeah. sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Well, like most people don't believe me when I say that, but like uh, you can find those people. I don't know if they'd admit it, but you could find them. They were there. Wow. Well, I mean, you're a consultant for like making business out of climate change. I mean, that's pretty, I mean, that's something that people would know, but I mean, it's still pretty perceptive. Like, Oh yeah, I mean, I've certainly done tons of weird stuff. Like, started a uh, biotech lab in my garage right out of college. Um, that was that was a big move because it was uh, it was out of necessity. I had I had graduated. I had a lab uh, back in college, and suddenly I I didn't have anything. So I started buying stuff on eBay. You can buy you can buy a lot of stuff on eBay, especially if you're building a biotech lab. Um, and so it was uh, in my in my studio apartment. So, I mean, that's like the, the Bay Area mythology, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Stuff. I don't know, do you get in trouble for that? Like, if you if you build, like, the wrong thing, does the government ever, like, knock on your door and say, don't build that? Oh, yeah, for sure. That was a huge concern. <laughs> in this, in my case, the government, like, emailed me and said, like, hey, can you come to this conference on synthetic biology? Um, well, that's a positive thing. Yeah, that was, that was a positive outcome. They were all very nice. All right, then. One question I wanted to get into is because... I think for several years you you have been a consultant and, and maybe this is like my way of synthesizing what you do, which is like help businesses make money off climate change or at least make it so it's not just like a not-for-profit venture. Is that like a good like synthesis of what you've been consulting with? Or that's like my late, that, that's my latest kind of direction. Um, but yeah, my background is more like biohacking and synthetic biology. And so mm -hmm. then basically looking for where is a, where's a place to, um, Where's a place to apply the latest cutting edge technologies? What's like the most pressing opportunity or the most pressing problem um, facing civilization? And how, how can we kind of connect the latest and greatest with an actual, uh, an actual need? Hey, you were saying in our, our pre-emails that you think synthetic biology will be one of the mechanisms we use to combat climate change. Mm -hmm. So like, I think when I think of synthetic biology, I think of like like yeast or microbes being used to like maybe eat the carbon dioxide and make it into a physical form. But I don't know what what do you mean? Like when you when you think of that, like using synthetic biology, what like what mechanisms and systems do you imagine for combating climate change? I know you're working on a Kickstarter that probably is like one example of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what comes to mind for me is when I think about when I think about solutions to climate change or or climate change as a as a business opportunity. Um, the reason that synthetic biology comes to mind is because it's, it's like, it's kind of a big unknown biotechnology. Like, can we reliably engineer biological systems 
that's like a, an unknown that's becoming more of a known every day. Um, and so to me, that's why it, it, it seems like it's growing really fast and it has a lot of potential um, from the perspective of augmenting and engineering natural systems like the planet. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's anything we can't do? Is there like an upper limit? I think I recently was interviewing someone who didn't think we could, ex there's like a cap on what we could do for longevity, like, like aging, even though it's a d disease, like maybe it's like too complex to completely solve. So but huh. do, you, do you think there's anything in terms of biology that we couldn't augment or like couldn't it like with enough understanding mess with it, like in the way that we can mess with computers or, and do that type of thing? Yeah. I mean, like fundamentally, like the speed of light is something that I, I believe deep down, like we'll probably not crack the speed of light, but then that has like all these other um, uh, uh, kind of implications because if you look at um, an electrical system, uh, a signal travels at the speed of light through an electrical system, but um, in a biological system, it's a, it's a chemical pulse. Um, so that has fundamental limitations to what, uh, what biology will be able to, to do using like a chemical based system. But if you imagine like a, a biological system that uses, um, uh, electrical signals somehow that, that, uh, that can be, that can kind of like butt up against that speed of light limitation. Hmm. It, are, is it, is chemical as fast as like, is it as fast as electronics or is it slower using like our brains are like chemical supercomputers, right? So like, is it, is it, are they comparable in speeds? Like when they do the transactions or is it slower? Because when I, when I think about it, I think of it as instantaneous, but I've never actually like clocked the speed on these things. Yeah. Yeah. You can clock the speed on it. Like, um, it's, it's slower. It's actually, I'm trying to remember what it is. It's, um, there's like some squid that has like the largest neuron in the world or something. Let me Google it now. Squid. <laughs> Large neurons. Um, oh, axon, squid giant axon. Um, and so it's like how squids, how squids think. But um, yeah, the, the conduction velocity of a typical 0.5 millimeter squid axon is about 25 meters per second. Um, let's see, what is, what is the speed of light? Um, I think it's like, isn't it like 10? To the 10 it's a lot per second <laughs> yeah yeah all right so yeah that's that's much slower did you know that octopus like uh, cephalopods for the most part like they have their brain is around their mouth so if they eat something big enough they'll have brain damage because the, i think it's because they're they grow from their butt first i think that's why or like one of the two like we grow from our mouths first and they grow from their butt or they we grow from our butt and they grow from their mouths and that's why yeah it's very weird but like they eat enough food they have brain damage because their brain, wow. their brain encases around their like their throat. Like imagine your brain being around your throat. Wow. Yeah, they're weird little guys. They they're like aliens. You said octopus, like cephalopods, like yeah, octopus that type of thing. Wow, like, interesting. Like, I just saw yeah. some octopus the other day. Did you befriend huh. it? I tried to. It was behind the glass at a sushi restaurant. Oh, <laughs> you're gonna eat it. They're pretty <laughs> smart. I I don't know. If, I don't know if I could eat it. You know, I don't know if you've ever. Have you actually eaten cephalopod? Um, yeah. Oh, I guess it's, since you're from a tiny island, you kind of have to eat whatever comes your way. That makes sense. <laughs> sure. Other than spam. Don't you guys have like five years of spam held up? Oh, yeah. Hawaii is like the, the largest consumer of spam in the United States, if not the world. Mm -hmm. Which tastes good. I don't know. I, I make it with eggs all the time. This is not related. Oh, to good. Anything. Nice. <laughs> this is not related to anything scientific. 
But, yeah, uh, I love spam. Spam. Uh, we make musubi in Hawaii, which is like this rice. It's sort of like a sushi, but instead of like fish, you have a slice of fried spam, and then you wrap mm -hmm. it in um, seaweed, and it's super good. That does sound tasty. I'm gonna try that. Uh, all right. So one question I wanted to ask. Um, I guess it was like the, the original question I was gonna ask, but then we got on this like fun tangent. But uh -huh. um, so you've been you've been consulting for a little bit, and now you're gonna do a Kickstarter that's like a physical product. Why did you choose to make this your first physical product development? Like you built a lab just out of college. Um, I'm assuming this is your first physical product you developed. And if not, well, I've done uh, some other hardware projects in biotechnology. Okay. All right, then never mind. Then well, then why this one? Why why is this <laughs> just in general? Yeah, why is this exciting? Why are you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. I, I think like um, so uh, we're we're launching a Kickstarter. There's the first consumer product made of carbon dioxide that's pulled directly from the from the atmosphere. So why is that? Why is that important? Um, it's important because as of today, we're at 407 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the air, and it's changing our climate. There's too much carbon in the air. There's about a trillion tons of excess carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. How do we take it out? This was the first kind of. This is our first answer to. Well, can we take it out? Can we make things with it? Can we make use of this carbon that's in the air? So at first we set our sights on making a diamond out of carbon dioxide from the air. That is really hard to do. So instead we created a, a planter using this uh, solidified carbon dioxide. Well, I think, um, I think that's probably one of the, the like for people who don't think climate change is real, I think, like when it comes to the carbon dioxide in the air and the logic behind like oil and, and petroleum is like locked in carbon dioxide, like it's like deep in the, in the, in the earth. And so we're using it, putting it in the atmosphere. So you like just logically that's going to increase it because like it was, it was sequestered away and now it's not, I think that's like the best, like for people like, Oh, it don't make sense. I, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to be mean to those people. <laughs> I grew up in a country. <laughs> But um, that's like the logic I use because it's like, yeah, you know, like it, it used to be in a vault and now we opened the vault and pushed it to where the kids play and now the kids are growing arms. I mean, that's radiation, but radiation doesn't do that either. But I'm not very good at analogies. I'm trying to get better at them. But um, so, yeah, it just puts it out there. I think that's like the best. So like sequestering them back into a physical product to talk about why that's so important it, is is really good because then you can take it back out of the atmosphere and put it into physical products. I think there's I think some people working on making it out of, like plastics out of that. I think carbon dioxide. Yeah. yeah, there's plastics. People working on fuels. People working on pulling carbon dioxide from the air and then just burying it. There's yeah. a lot going on in, in people looking at uh, the carbon that's in the air and how can we make use of it or at least pull it out of the air. It's um. I mean, there was a great there's a great documentary on this called Futurama where they. Like the world was so, like it, it heat up so much that they dropped a, a giant ice cube cool. <laughs> in the ocean. It's not, it's, it's not a documentary, it was a cartoon. My jokes aren't very good either. But um, what are some ways that you think, other than clearly make, like sequestering it out of the atmosphere that you think we're gonna solve or like uh, affect climate change in a positive way instead of just like in the negative way that we have been doing it? Are there any other you know met methods that you like? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, that's what, that's what I'm all about is like, how can we transform climate change into a, how can we look at it as an opportunity? Because for me, when I, when I see something as an opportunity, 
you know, I, I, I listen more, I look more, I, I have better ideas, I, I take action. Um, I think I think pretty much all aspects of, of climate change are going to undergo this kind of uh, second stage where it builds on this this kind of ear the the um, the idea that we want to we want to push it away and the phase two is going to be actually these things are are huge huge economic opportunities I mean look at look at the the solar industry look at Tesla I mean these are um, incredible economic opportunities that are reducing the carbon footprint of transportation and, and energy, which are huge. Um, so going forward from here, I think food is, food is big, water is big. Uh, I think energy will continue to be, to be big in terms of, um, in terms of storage. Um, and I think that these new technologies to remove carbon dioxide from the air are, are really promising as well. Isn't it, I think, a third of carbon monoxide or carbon dioxide comes from like animals, like our, our agriculture based animals. So like if you, I don't remember which one it was, but it's like a third, like it's a huge amount. Uh-huh. And so if you can do like the clean meat stuff where they can like synthetically grow it in the lab, that like really takes it out. And then you don't have like nine months to make like a cow and then butcher it. And then, you know, however long it takes you to get somewhere. I love that yeah, stuff. Totally. It's really smart, but all right. So then I, I know you have the Kickstarter, but um, I asked this question in, in the previous thing, but the, this has a very simple answer, but online it says you, you've made 15 and the Kickstarter is to make more, right? So like, is it, I think sometimes when people think of climate change, they think of it like a philanthropic thing or something that the government has to do because it's not something you can make money from, from. So like, is this something that you will be able to convert into a business or will it be something that requires like a Kickstarter every now and again to make runs of it, if that makes sense? My Twitter handle, I have a little profile underneath it and it says that climate change will create the first trillionaire. Mm-hmm. So this is this is in line with that. This is about how do we how do we pursue climate change as a for-profit business opportunity where you can hire people, where you can grow, where you can open offices all around the world. Mm-hmm. That's what this is about. Is 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 looking at at the climate as that big of an opportunity. It's it's an opportunity for uh, students in college to create new careers. It's an opportunity for millions, if not billions, of people to to, to find new jobs. Uh, it's an opportunity for entrepreneurs to start new companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my questions is going to be like, do you see you know trillionaires and billionaires coming from you know climate change? But that really a- answers it, especially if you can make money from. I, I imagine like the best way to use it would be just a question out of the atmosphere. Like that's a really good opportunity. Other than like going like what two hundred feet sea level. Like well, I don't know how much the sea level is supposed to raise by, like six or nine feet or something like that. Like go nine feet of water inland and then buy up real estate around there and just wait. That's probably a really good way. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Um, I've always wanted to host like a meetup group called like how to get, uh, what is it? Uh, how to get filthy rich on climate change. <laughs> like I'm, I'm still excited for that discussion to happen because to me that means that like once people start to see climate change as a financial opportunity, that's, I, I think that's when the, the thinking and actions will really, will really shift. It's been, uh, it's been a nonprofit government kind of thing. And the reason I got in was I, uh, I saw actually Leonardo DiCaprio giving his like Oscars spe- award speech. Um, and he said in, I think it was 20, 2015, he, he got up on stage and he's like, climate change is real. And I was like, what? Like, that's like saying the earth is round or it's like saying like, you know, DNA is the foundation of biology. It's like, of course, right? But then I started looking into it and it turns out like the world doesn't have this thing figured out. 
I thought we always did. I thought it was just like, you know, Al Gore is like, you know, got this one covered. But it's, it's like there's a, there's a lot of stuff that still needs to happen. Um, so that was really that was really exciting for me, and 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 seeing this this ability to to see it as a as an opportunity for for new thinking, for new ideas, for new uh, new companies, and and pursuing it that way. Well, when I when I think of I think it's a I think it's a really interesting time to be alive, which is also a a very bad time to be alive because no one wants to live in interesting times. I think. I think like the last time we had interesting times like this was probably like in like World War One or World War Two because we have so many things we have we have climate change we got people who don't want to take vaccines you know dr- bad diseases are coming back antimicrobial resistance is on the rise um, you know we got like so many like bad things that our generation we get to solve and it's like like a lot of people are like oh this sucks but like with your mindset let's this is an opportunity let's let's make some money make the world a better place and. Uh, you don't buy the land in the appropriate areas. It's like to hedge your bets. Like if we do a good enough job, it doesn't happen. If it doesn't do a good enough job, I have land to, to sell you. I, you know, do like a bunch of tiny houses on it and then rent it to them. Like a themed living community, like, like make Hobbiton out of tiny homes is like probably what, what I would do. Cause like people probably love that. I know I would. <laughs> I don't know if you like Lord of the Rings at all, but sure. uh, I know, I know one of the things that you do and I, I didn't know you could do this, but I'm very curious to, to learn why you do it, but you watch or you, you have, watched uh, like the live stream of how much carbon dioxide is in the air like do you do you sent me a link about it so i assume you oh, do yeah, carbon doomsday yeah like do you do you do that regularly like is that like a thing you do like oh it's thursday night let's all like go to a bar put that number up there and just kind of think about the world yeah i do it pretty much every day i check the i check the carbon dioxide levels on uh on carbon doomsday.com so that project has a cool inception because i uh, i wrote this frustrated blog post called no one gives a fuck about climate change because mm-hmm. i had I was, I was like trading Bitcoin and I went on Coinbase and they have these beautiful charts. You look at Coinbase, they have like, oh, like beautiful char, you can you know, drag the mouse over it and see it. And then if you Google for like carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, you get these like super janky charts. So you get like, you know, dot text files that you have to download the data. Um, so then I wrote this, this blog post and this whole group of developers appeared out of nowhere and we're all like, let's, let's make this thing real. So it's a, it's a real time view of earth's carbon dioxide levels uh and it's called carbon doomsday and it kind of pokes fun at like you know the whole the whole doom and gloom thing and just says like look here's what the carbon is like it's it's been rising over the past uh 50 years uh here's what it is today i think that's that's a really important piece for me is like making making the climate visible and making the climate tangible because if it's just something in a textbook that just says like climate change is happening but you can't see it that's hard for me to to get into and it's especially hard for me to see as an opportunity but if i'm if i'm making planters out of carbon dioxide from the air um and every day the carbon dioxide goes up i'm like great like there's more stuff for me to make planters out of <laughs> have you calculated out how many you'd have to make to stop it or like to like make it neutral um well there's a trillion tons of excess carbon dioxide from the atmosphere um and our planter has 100 grams of carbon dioxide in it. So I think you very quickly get to, what's that? 10 to the 12th um, times, yeah, it'd be a lot. Yeah, so this is you, step. that's how you're going to make your trillion dollars. You know, you do the, do the Kickstarter. Trillion planters. <laughs> yeah, trillion planters. You solve the problem and you make your trillion. So I don't know what people do when they're billionaires. I mean, other than do like what Jeff Bezos is doing and Elon Musk. 
if I had a billion dollars, I would just invest 99% of it and go live like, a, like an average person and just never tell anyone other than like have a private jet because lines are stupid. That's like the only thing I would indulge in. Like, I don't know what people do with their money. You know what I mean? Like if, if I don't know if you're a billionaire or not, if you are like, tell me what it's like, like other than just buy McMansions and stuff, like what do people do with it? You know what I mean? Oh, I heard a story I like recently. It was um, somebody in, I think it was Taiwan, who's a, who's a billionaire who lives on like $200 a, a month. I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, that sounds like a challenge, you know? Because um, otherwise it's like, oh, he lives on $2 billion a month. That's like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, but like living on $200 a month, um, that sounds like, wow, that's a uh, very uh, principled, very driven person. I suppose if you had a lot of money, you could build Atlantis or something. There was like a French engineer in this 80s who wanted to build floating cities. And it, I don't know, it's a pretty interesting design. I think his name was like Jack, Jack something, Jakku. No, that's a planet from Star oh, Wars. So? Yeah, yeah, it sounds familiar. I might be thinking of Star Wars with Jakku, but, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. Is there anything unconventional other than you're thinking of making it a profitable, positive thing, which is a very, it's a very important way to think about things. You have like two ways of taking something. You can either cry about it or you can try to make something positive of it. I've only ever heard kind of the middle ground of crying and thinking you can't do anything positive about it. So like other than that, is there anything else that's unconventional about your thought process when it comes to climate change? I mean, I think that's the, that's the core of it. I think that um, my basic assumption is that on the order of like hundreds of thousands of people are actively working on, on climate right now. Um, and there are billions of people that kind of think about it or even, even more like aren't thinking about it at all. Um, and that, that to me just, that also seems like a, seems like an opportunity. Um, is that there are so few people working on this that this is this is like the first page of chapter one. Um, this is to, to me these are the technologies and techniques that humanity will use to uh, understand, monitor, and engineer this planet. And this is going to be this is our first planet, and we're going to use all of that. The, everything that we learn from um, from climate solutions is gonna go off to uh, continue with humanity everywhere we go after this. I think that's one of the big reasons I think being multi-planetary is like one of those like underlying like really like benefits that most people don't think about is like, if we can make Venus Earth-like and Mars Earth-like, Earth is gonna be fine. Like it's like, not in the sense like Earth is always gonna be fine unless like another planet smashes into it, I guess. But um, like, for humans, like the planet we're on right now is like so optimal. You know, like there's a reason why, like there's only like a, a couple million of us for the longest time. And then like 10,000 years ago, we were like, hey, look, we domesticated stuff. <laughs> like, and then uh -huh. like the industrial revolution happens and then we're like, babies. I don't ever see, see the chart for that. Oh yeah, it's crazy. It was like, what was, um, I think the baby boomers were the only generation where the population of earth doubled mm -hmm. during their lifetimes. So, that's big. Yeah, I mean, and. Well, shouldn't, shouldn't our generation like quadruple it? Isn't it like every time, every, every generation since then, doesn't it double it? I thought every, that's how it worked. I might be wrong on this. I thought, because the baby boomers, like it, it went really big. But then I thought, because like, if you double it, then there's like two people to make a baby. So then it should make more of them. Yeah, yeah. You would think it would grow faster, right? Um, well, it took my us, like, 
is it, it's not, it's the planet, the population will not double in our lifetimes. Mm. I, well, I think there's some recent, I don't know, theories out there that we're going to probably cap around like 10 billion or something like that. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. I mean, like we have enough food. We have some, we have like clean meat and stuff. We'll be fine. We're, 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 we're scrappy people. I mean, we had like, uh, at least I think so. I'm a hopeful person, but I know one. Yeah, one, I, mean, I, I hear the 10 billion stuff and I'm like, okay, like I, I haven't looked into it. Um, but I don't see any reason why we, you know, you couldn't put a lot more people. Maybe you don't want to. That's, that's fine. Um, but like physically, I, I think that we can build the systems and technologies and social structures that, that have a giant population. Um, and, and, you know, once you go on other planets, like you can, uh, the human species can be much, much bigger. I'm looking forward to the day where we don't have to live in like tunnels on other planets. Like that's one of the projects I'm working on is to, a project I'm working on is like would basically solve that, or at least be a, a part of the pro, part of the piece that would solve that. But I, I I know that one of the one of your goals in life is to meet Elon Musk, and so I'm just curious if you if you could choose anyone, and this is one like I have my answer, but the, if you could choose anyone and just kind of like, like follow them around for like a month and like watch how they do things, who would it be? Uh, and like what would you want to learn about them in that? Yeah. Month? Like what yeah. would you want to like synthesize? So who is alive? Yeah, like we could be. I got. Yeah, that's that's a good answer. <laughs> you don't want any zombies or staring at a corpse. <laughs> yeah. so that wasn't really my answer. That was sort of like setting up the boundaries. Um, yeah, Elon Musk seems cool. Um, yeah, I just I always like the idea of like pulling the curtain back on. There's this whole mystique and mythology around uh, famous people, um, and being able to pull that curtain back and see like just more and more and more. Like okay. Like these people are people just like me. Um, and that's, that's something that I, uh, I love the opportunity to do is to, to pull that curtain back and just like meet somebody one-on-one. Mm-hmm. I, I read a lot of biographies, especially about the revolutionary war. Cause I think in America, our founding fathers are always made out to be like marble. Like they don't really have mm. imperfections, but when you read about them, they were very surly, <laughs> they were very surly. Like Washington, he's always, uh, painted as a very calm person, but they're they're like Hamilton, which is always portrayed as like this very fiery person. I mean, there's a reason why someone shot him. But the like Washington liked Hamilton because he was fiery like him. Wow. Washington just kind of learned how to deal with it. But one time in the Revolutionary War, just to give you an example of this, like a, a general was like retreating when he shouldn't have. Like he's basically being a pansy. I don't know if that's a mean thing to say, but like, he's being like what's I don't know if that's a nice thing either to say. But he wasn't doing his job. And and so Washington, he like rides up, and the and the guy's like, oh, the, the redcoats are like pushing us back. My, I make really weird. <laughs> He's an idiot, right? And so Washington got so pissed off, he started cursing him out in front of all of his troops, like get your ass out of here, and like almost like ripped him off his horse and kicked him out, like almost like drummed him out of the service. And he's like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna ride forward, like bring everyone together, and then push it forward and like take the charge back to them. And after that fight, he had like eight bullet holes through his wow. through his his jacket. But yeah, he was a very fiery man. But so it's like the same thing. I think most people are, are like us, or to some extent. I think you get like outliers, like Richard Feynman or Einstein. But even even Einstein, and I think it's a lot of like deliberate practice. I think I think that's I think it's like one part, like what's your natural talents, and then one part, what's your environment? You know, like if you're mm-hmm. really really poor, like most most people that have become president didn't come from poor families. Most people have had a really big, like um, 
like Tolstoy, he was a rich guy. And so uh-huh. he wrote, he had time to write rich, you know, really in-depth things. So I don't know what I'm trying to make here other than the idea that, that for, mo- for the most part, people are just kind of like average Joes. The only difference is like they, they dedicate themselves to something that they don't stop. And they have like yeah. a conviction of themselves. So like the thing you'd want to learn then is just to like see how much Elon's like you or like how, co- like not common, but you know how like, a- I don't know, like, like an average Joe he is. Yeah, so that's yeah. what you want to learn essentially right yeah I, I think it's 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 seeing it firsthand i mean i think there's um i certainly make this that logical leap where you sort of like make people make make a person into something that is a, is a nice story but isn't actually a, a person i mean you think about like um i remember like john lennon or something right like wow he writes like amazing songs um but then it's like oh wait he like he also like beats his wife or you know he's, he's like oh, okay there's actually like it's it's a more complicated story and actually not a very nice story um, when you get when you get into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we kind of rose. We like have rose tinted glasses about the past. Like we never talk about the Native Americans in America. Like whenever like we talk about oh we did you know this bad or this wrong, no one ever talks about the Native Americans. Like in my college, uh-huh. there was like one class on Native American history and no one took it besides like me and one other person. So they canceled it. It's like I wanted to learn. Oh wow. Yeah. I don't, is, is there ever been a time in your life where you wanted to learn something, but like environmental factors like that kind of got in the way? Hmm. And if so, how did you overcome it? Or have you been gifted your entire life? Yeah. Um, wanting to learn, but not, I'm certain this, this story in my head is going to be that I overcame it somehow. Um, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about like, early days of learning about genetics and, and biology. Um, and it was, I was, I was taking this genetics class uh, in college and totally bombing it. Just couldn't, couldn't make the connection to like, being interested in genetics. Um, and then one day the teachers, the professors, uh, it was late in the semester. So they did like sort of like a, you know, a joke class where they got up and like shared their, shared their research. So it was like not going to be tested on, but just they shared their research and something in, in, in that class sparked uh, an interest in me because they were using their like software, like they got their laptops out, they got all this open source software up and like they couldn't figure out how to use the software. Like they're making all these mistakes using the software that they like, like potentially use every day. Um, and so that was a way where I was really struggling in this, uh, in this class, but like found a little doorway that I could sneak through that really got my attention and got my, got my interest. It's kind of the, and what, okay. So kind of like a similar question and Leonard, Leonard da Vinci was, you know, the, the artist genius guy from several hundred years ago. He, um, he, he had this thing in his life where he was basically a bastard. So he couldn't be educated like normal people. And it's normally like a stigma, like a very negative thing. But whenever he would talk about it, he would say, I, thank God I was a bastard. Like, thank God this happened. This negative thing happened that no, normally would destroy or lessen most people. And he made it positive. Is there anything like that in your life? Anything that you like by anyone, anyone besides yourself would see it? I guess maybe climate change. But, you know, maybe that's too big. But like on a personal level, <laughs> carbon dioxide came out of the sky and poked me in the eye one time. But um, that like is a negative thing that you've made positive like that, that you're like, thank God that happened.
nothing comes to mind, but I know that's, that's my general approach with stuff is like how to transform something that seems like, of course, that's a bad thing. Um, how do you transform that into a positive thing? That's climate change is a good example of that. It just seemed obvious to me, like climate change is a, is totally an opportunity and, and kind of being confused as to why everybody else around me thought it was a, you know, was a bad thing. Um, Probably. Life. I. It's all right if you don't have anything. I mean, it, yeah, it's like um, I mean to like some that I'm like that when people say ask me questions where it's like, is the glass half full or half empty? I always think it's just there's fifty percent water in there. Uh -huh. you know, like, it's just it is what it is. So like maybe that's why. Maybe you you just think hey this is all you know you just don't. You know, like I once had an interview recently where like it was for a job and they were like, what was the time where you didn't have everything you needed to succeed? And it's, I was just thinking, I don't think that way. I just, I had yeah. exactly as much as I had and I did A, B and C to get it done. <laughs> so, totally. Yeah. Can you hold on one second? Yeah. Right, I just have to mute it. I can sing to you. You can still hear me. Put on some really nice music. Oh wow, we're at like 15 minutes in. Did you unmute yourself? I'm back. Okay, I will cut that out. I don't know who that was. You might have been talking to yourself. I don't know. All right, so when oh I yeah, I thought I was on mute. Well, oh yeah, no, you were on mute. I was just, I mean, like uh, in the video because we're recording. I'll like rip it out. It's not a big cool. deal. All right, so the last topic because like I like looked at my checklist here. Last topic I know we wanted to talk about because I love space. You love space. You may love Elon Musk. I don't know. I don't want to, you know, put that put you in that position. But but uh, you 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 said that one of the topics you would love to talk about is this like what would the inside of a spaceship leaving the the solar system look like? And I recently read Aurora by Stanley Kim mm. Stanley Robinson. Yeah. So I uh, like I'll start this out since I I have you know put you on the spot first. So like one of the things I would love to see is like large open spaces like i i have this there's like one of his books where he they basically make like asteroids and then the inside they hollow them out and put like an artificial sun and it kind of mm -hmm. like it feels like a part of earth and so i i wouldn't want it to be like corridors or like really small claustrophobic things i would want like really large areas even like if you even if they're not being spun to create gravity like maybe like a spot that has like a giant like bubble on it and people can just go up there and like play in like low gravity and like just chill out like like a sense of like you can go somewhere and like have a because everyone's an explorer and even though like the ship's taking you somewhere getting up every day and and only able to move a little bit i think would be really sad but like that's that's not like space which is hard to do in space even though there's so much space but yeah what about you i've always been fascinated by um real yeah the humanity of 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 space travel of going to other planets of 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 like the process of getting there, of being there. Um, one idea that always uh, comes up for me is how would you have um, an interplanetary garage band? Because again, coming back to this, this speed of light limitation, there's, it, it's really hard to have a band when the, the music is like a minute delay. Um, so I've always been curious about like maybe maybe actually the person who does crack the speed of light if, if anyone ever does that maybe it's going to be a person who 
just wants to have a gosh darn garage band in real time with, with Earth and Mars or something like that. Maybe that's the person that has like the most drive to solve the, the, you know, solve the limitation of the speed of light is somebody who's like really like Van Halen of the future or something. <laughs> it will probably, I think it will be like something you don't see coming. Like it's with like CRISPR, like no one saw CRISPR coming. But they were just kind of like doing, yeah, just doing some research. Dr. Mm-hmm. Gulatna, just going to play around with some, you know, microbiome stuff. Not microbiome, uh, microbes. And they're like, mm-hmm. this works out. Yeah, I can see that. And I think sometimes people think of scientists as like these like rigid, immobile, like lab coat people. They don't have a lot of feeling or passion, which, I, you know, it's not the case. They're human, just like everyone else. But Einstein, he played the violin. Like they're very artistic people. So like this idea that maybe it's not like a garage band person, like they're going to be very creative. So they're going to come at it from a different way and that they can do it. And if they have that, like the impetus of like, they want to solve the problem, I can totally see it. I was just mm-hmm. trying to like unpack it for anyone who's like listening and thinking that's a stupid idea. <laughs> give, it some, give it some credit. So you think, uh, so in your, in your thing, the ships leaving the, the solar system, you got like one person and he's trying to have a rock band with his father as they like, he, he goes away. And like the big, the big problem is like the, the delay. It's, I was like the positive, I don't know if that's a positive thing. So like interstellar where like he gets all the cues. Uh, Oh, that like tore my heart out. I was like, my God, I didn't know Matthew McConaughey could act like that. Oh, no. I was expecting him to just say, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> he does that in every movie. But besides uh, that one, I think. Yeah, that was such a, like, a heart-wrenching scene. It's, is there anything else you want to see on the... Like, would you go? Would you be like the first person to be like, yeah, I'll try this out. Worst case scenario, just die in the vacuum of space or get murdered by someone. Like, would you try it out? Would you be the first? Yeah, totally. I, uh, my apartment in San Francisco for the last 10 years was 200 square feet. And so I like to, rather than see that as something that's, oh man, like rent, you know, prices in the Bay Area, I look at it as like training for uh, interstellar travel because hmm. you're not going to get much like square footage or, or cubic footage um, in space. So then I like to think about like, again, from a human level, like how would I, uh, what, would the, what would I want the inside of that 200 square foot space to look like? Um, and I ask, will it, will it be like an Apple store? Or will it be like a rainforest? And this comes from some inspiration from Kevin Kelly, who's a a well-known technologist who he often says that like the most interesting stuff comes from the intersections, like the the second order or third order or fourth order effects of a new technology. Um, So we we see all this cool stuff happening in synthetic biology. We see all this cool stuff happening in, uh, in space exploration. Those things are, are generally like building rockets is different than like building cells. But if you think about, you know, leaving the planet to go somewhere else, like you're going to have both of those, those knowledge bases are going to, are going to merge together. And so to me, um, I imagine that 200 square feet uh, for me would be, it would probably look more like a, like a rainforest. Maybe I would even like Jurassic Park have like a little, um, a little elephant. If I remember the, the beginning of the, of the Jurassic Park movie it was like this, ultimate uh this ultimate rainforest well i think i'd want to go rainforest over apple store because apple stores are kind of clinical i don't like this modern stuff i like things that kind of have like a earthy feel to them like anything mm-hmm. too plain and i feel like i'm just compromising my immune system it's like you need like that that germness you need some germs but uh you froze again you totally do and aurora i think was a great a great book exploring that as well even though I, the, the ending was kind of depressing. I wanted the space 
spoilers for anyone who hasn't watched or read this book or uh, I don't know. I don't care. It's your fault for listening. So <laughs> the, uh, stop and just go watch it or read it. It's not watch it. I don't, know, I don't know what's wrong with me. But I wanted the space station to live. I thought it was becoming sentient. I was so emotionally involved. It was like, it was the character I cared about. All these other people about regression to the main, blah, blah, blah. We're becoming stupid. That's fine. Read a book. But the, the space station, I was like, oh, my, it's, ah, it was, I felt for it. And then it's like, I'm going to go blow myself up. No, you continue to live. You refurbish yourself. And it had like, it was doing experiments with the animals and like helping them be better animals. That's exactly what I'd want. Like I picture myself, I picture like how I'd want to die. Like what, what environment would I be content with dying? And I think having a space station where I can do like research and like play with animals and like live where like no one can bother me all the way out in Titan. Sounds like a good idea. But like, so like I imagine myself as that space station, like, oh, that, that's awesome. That's what I'd want to do that. Then the last thing you hear, last thing you read is it died. It's like, what is this shit? What is this crap? What is this crap? And then everyone else is like, I'm playing on a beach. No, the, the one character I wanted to live did not live. Okay. So do you agree or disagree with that statement? Do you, yeah. That statement. I will. I mean, I, yeah, I, I agree. I wanted, I wanted Aurora. I wanted it to be like, I wanted it to be like the Mars trilogy. That's what, that's what I was expecting was like, you know, going for it and things work out. Um, but instead it was this sort of things didn't work out and actually humanity is only limited to earth, which I guys strongly do not, do not believe. Um, yeah. We could just bleach the entire environment. So those prion diseases, they wouldn't exist. Nothing like very few things can exist in, in, in bleach. So we just, we just bleach the entire planet. And all right. So here, here's probably the last two last questions. Cause I, I know we wanted to like cap it at an hour, but um, the, if you think if we were the only life, in the universe you know like probably not true but like only life exists on, on earth just if we accept that as a premise sure do you think it would be our responsibility to spread life so i asked this question in college and everyone disagreed with me i i think that we should spread it like you know if if there's like all this darkness around us and we have the ability to make candles and, and spread the flame I, in a positive way not, not burn down in the village i think we should do that so but like what do you think we would that be a responsibility or would it be like, eh, leave them barren rocks? Of course. Of course it's, I don't know if I would use the word responsibility, but um, of course it's a, it's a destiny. Of course it's an opportunity. Of course it's an adventure. Mm -hmm. That's, that's how I see it. Um, yeah. I think that, I think that intelligent, uh, intelligent life is, is, what the what the universe wants and I'm, I'm thrilled to see that we haven't found anything like us in the rest of our our SETI explorations right that nobody's nobody's found anything and I guess there's, there's like the two theories one is like well that means that um, we're the first and we get to go out and um, and the, the rules and culture and uh, philosophies that we have today on earth are going to be ones that are going to get carried everywhere there. Um, or there's the other direction, which is that there is like some super powerful um, galactic being that just like kills everything else that comes, you know, comes to life. So uh, I hope it's not that. I mean, that's a fun opportunity. Like, well, I think if, if one exists, we can figure out how it existed and then make another one and then we'll have them fight each other. Cool. Yeah, like big Transformers or um, Pacific Rim. Yeah, yeah. I think they, I think they came out with a sequel to that. But I need to watch more movies. I guess. Yeah. But all right. So, 
you ever, there's like a good, a good book recommendation because this is like leading in to any recommendations for books and resources to learn more. But oh, great. Uh, one, book, one book I think you would love based on what you just said, it's called Ice Pushers by Ice Pushers. I'm going to Google it real quick. Ice Pushers, Ice Pushers, Ice Pushers. It's a book. Ice Pushing by Alistair Reynolds. The basic concept is, and I don't think this will be a spoiler, but people... It would be a spoiler. I can't tell you. Read the book. It's fantastic. <laughs> it would ruin it. It's I don't okay. mind spoilers. So here's here's like surprising fun fact is I love reading like the spoiler for movies before I watch the movie. Like I'll just go on the Wikipedia page and read the whole plot, and then I I like doing that. I enjoy the movie more. So during the okay. end of the book, okay, I'll, I'll say a little bit for anyone who you know wants to read it and not hate me. So the concept is like these people are like get stuck on this moon, and they were like transporting ice. So they get stuck on this moon and they get shot. They get shot basically into the future. And so some of the people knew that it was happening, that they were being like sped up to the speed of light so that people like, so that they basically, the, an alien culture basically put these like planets everywhere so that people would be sped up so they could meet in the future, these alien species, because they would realize that people would, species would ping up and then they'd die out before they could meet anyone else. So they basically made like a zoo where all these like earth, earthlings and other creatures could like meet and like have a nice time. But so, as they're as they're being transported there, they're they're getting signals from Earth, and a few of them were like hiding it from people because, uh, like one person, their son grew up and became a murderer and like killed a bunch of people, and like one person, like their entire family died out. It was like like really sad stuff because like you're you're everyone you ever knew died, like day three into the journey because of how much the acceleration is. But that's the concept, and so you you go to a future where like all humanity's been wiped out, and you're the last humans on this little thing. And so that's it. That's the concept. Something to think about. So, okay. Cool. Recommendations from you. Recommendations. Um, I, I really like Stuart Brand's book called The Whole Earth Discipline. Right on the cover, it says GMOs are good. Nuclear power is good. Geoengineering is good. That's like, that's, that's, for me, that's like a baseline. It's just like, yeah, okay. So then like, where do we go from here? Um, I really like that. Um, sustainable energy without the hot air um, is a really good, a really good book for people who are really into math and, um, and like calculus. So I remember like, for example, in, in high school, I really liked economics. I studied economics a lot because I liked that it was a way to apply calculus. So if you look for, if you like looking for ways to apply math and you want to understand climate change, then sustainable energy without the hot air is, is great. Um, you can get the PDF for free online. Um, I got the docs for it and made it an open source GitHub project too. So you can, you can check that out. Um, and a, the book I've read the most times is uh, Cryptonomicon by Neil Stevenson. For some reason, that is like just a very entertaining book. I think I've read it five or six times. So if you're if you're in, if you're looking for a good book, check out Cryptonomicon. I I hear it's very educational. I read his book Stevenson Stevenson or whatever. It's a very weird book. I hope I hope crypto, I'll, I'll check it out one time. Uh, another I mean if you like kind of if you like really dense, really complex books, the most complex fiction book I have in series I've ever read is the Malazan Empire series. It's ten uh, books long. They're each about like 500,000 words and like every, you know, like sometimes in fiction books, you can kind of skim and you won't miss anything. Cause they're like describing like 
mm-hmm. or something like it, it sure. doesn't matter. This one, every single line matters. Like wow. every single one. Like I'm very surprised. It's very good. Wow. I love it. Wow. Yeah. Like like you know those quotes at the beginning of some chapters where it'll be like, like Father Abraham had many kids or whatever. It's like how does this relate to anything? Like that will come in. <laughs> That will come into play. <laughs> like I said, I'm not very good at analogies. But uh, yeah, so that would be like my uh, tick back for you. But all right, so you mentioned, uh, hopefully I can get that like Google, the GitHub thing. I'll put it in the show notes. But is there other ways that people can find you that are, if they're just listening and being lazy and they can't look in the show notes, how do people find you and learn more about you? You have a Twitter. You mentioned that. So I imagine if you looked up Tito, Lujowski, Tito Jankowski on Twitter. My bad. I would say check out um, check out Air Miners. It's an index that uh, we created of of all the companies that are pulling carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Uh, it's airminers.org. Um, check out um, the companies on there. I mean, there's there's companies that are doing direct air capture where you're pulling carbon dioxide from the ambient air. They're building machines to do this. Uh, there's companies that are working with carbon dioxide that's from fossil fuel emissions, so like an industrial smokestack. They're trying to figure out how do we, how do we make products out of that. Um, and that's all on airminers.org. Okay, so then the real last question, because I, I guess I say this too many times, but I always like to, for people who probably listen about you and think, oh, wow, this guy has a good mental attitude. He doesn't seem like a jerk. You know, like so many nice things about you. I think sometimes people think, like they'll, they'll look at you and think that you always knew as much as you knew now. So I would like to leave on what's wow. a question, what's a question like, well, yeah, I don't know. I'm like building up somewhere, but like, what's a question or a scientific concept that you don't have the answer to, but that you'd love the answer to, you know what I mean? Like, to like show that you don't know everything and that you are working, like, what is something that you'd love to know that you don't know? Hmm. I'm a very curious person. I'm trying to think of what my latest curiosity is. At one point, I was uh, I was really interested in is is the Earth actually uh, does the Earth go around the sun? Um, I was like actually like going like down to ground truth and being like, wait, does it? Um, and it turns out like it's actually this this whole like spiral thing in space, like that you know it's all gravity. Uh, to answer your question, what is a thing that uh, that I want to know about now? that I don't know about. Um, can, can using biology to harvest and mine carbon dioxide from the air, can that be more uh, energetically efficient than using um, chemical-based, chemical-based methods? That's currently the gold standard of these like uh, chemical membranes. Um, but I, I don't yet understand if biology is like growing trees or plants like is that is that a better way to go mm. that's a big question because that's like we're going to create airminers.org right like that's i'm like i should know that um but i don't i don't think anybody does um and i'm, I'm i'd be excited to to hear that biotechnology um enzymes and cells are are the solution to that mm. Well, a, I think that's a good way to end it then. So anyone who knows that answer or, or anyone who knows that answer has anything thoughtful to say, hated this episode or love this episode, should contact one of us and let us know. Because I, I like the feedback. I'm, I'm sure you do too. So uh, thanks for coming on the show today. 
you'll be one of the first people on the YouTube channel. And hope, uh, yeah. So thanks for coming on. Great. Yeah, I'd love to hear from anybody uh, anybody who's interested in mining carbon from the air. My email is tito at impossiblelabs.io. Um, and if you want any tips or perspective uh, or you want me to ask you some questions, then please, please email me. Um, tito at impossible and that was tito at impossible labs i hope everyone got a great sense of who he is and wants to help out him in his journey make sure to check out his websites and any social media that he is on he's usually talking and doing something because he's a very fascinating person other than that i want to inform people before we go that there is a new way to show support for the podcast and to keep it advertisement free from now until forever which is called patreon if you go to patreon and look for learning with lol you'll see this podcast don't forget to subscribe and leave a review we can be found on twitter at lol was here facebook and on the website learningwithlol.com also sign up for the newsletter where you can hear amazing content every monday new episodes every tuesday and new blog posts around every thursday remember to share and tell your friends please and thank you